This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Omaha, Nebraska, nestled against the Missouri River and close to the Iowa border. $100,000 a year. That's what you're paid? Yeah. The board of directors thinks that you're worth 100000 a year? Well, I don't ask them, actually. It's widely known that billionaire investor Warren Buffett, one of the world's richest people, proudly hails from Omaha. His holding company, Berkshire Hathaway, is headquartered here in Omaha, And once every year, over 40,000 people from all corners of this spinning globe converge to listen to Chairman and CEO Warren Buffett and Vice Chairman Charlie Munger preside over the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. It's so interesting to watch you work and talk. I have to give people hope that Warren has seven more good years in him. (laughs) Nicknamed the Woodstock for Capitalists, this year the pilgrimage of shareholders includes your equity mates Bryce and Alec as they give you the chance to learn from the world's best investors. But life has been awfully good to me and Charlie, so we have no complaints. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Made. It's a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett's status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, we are licensed, but we are not aware of your financial circumstances. So any advice on this show is general advice. All information is for education and entertainment purposes. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode because we are pre-recording this episode as part of our Long-Term Wealth Builders series for while we're in America. And all I'm thinking as you do your intro is at this point in America... We will have been to Berkshire Hathaway's annual general meeting. Yes. And then we will have gone on to New York. And right now, at this point in New York, hopefully we'll be sitting down with some of America's best fundies. No, but uh, if you have just joined, welcome to the Equity Mates community. You can follow all of the action over on our Instagram 
uh, to keep up to date with what's going on. Um, but this is the second part of our long-term wealth builder series, and we've uh, we've spoken about one of Warren's best investments and longest investments. And today we're speaking about the perils of selling too early. Yeah. Now, just for context for people who are new to the show, Warren that Bryce is referring to isn't his mate Warren. It's Warren <laughs> well, Buffett. Maybe now. History's greatest investor who we're going over to America to see speak. Yeah. The 93-year-old sits in front of a room of what, 40,000 people once a year and answers questions for like seven hours straight. At his annual general meeting. And at this point, we'll know if we got to ask a question. Mm. I've got mine prepared. Yeah, yours is a good one. It's it's long. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll leave that as a cliffhanger and make sure you check it out on Instagram to see if we did get the chance to ask Warren a question. But today, Ren, is all about Disney Mm. and... The mistake, I guess, that Warren made when it came to his investment in Disney. Most people probably don't know that Buffett invested in Disney. And that's because he invested in 1966 and sold just one year later. Yeah. So it's a fascinating story. He he actually, as he said, 1966, he managed to scoop up 5% of Disney in 1966. He paid 4 million bucks for it. At the time, the whole company was selling for $80 million. So, scooped up 5%. At the time, Disney was nothing more than... and uh, Nothing more. Nothing more. Nothing more. I mean, it, it was a theme park operator and as it still does today, had pretty strong mix of IP and uh, a great content library. So, he scooped it up for $4 million, bucks, but at the time... Disney spent $17 million on the pirate ride in 1966. And so he looked at it from a valuation point of view. The market cap of $80 million, they're spending $17 million on a ride. Therefore, the valuation of the company is, quote, five times rides. And he thought it was just, there was, it was just such a value opportunity for him to get in. So he scooped up 5%. But Ren, as you said, a year later, he sold it for $6 million bucks. So Bryce, he sold it for six million dollars, spent four million. Yeah, that's a fifty percent return in a year. Absolutely, How- pretty good. Certainly, the Disney sale in the '60s was a huge mistake. I should have been buying. I forget about about holding, and uh, uh, that's happened many times. I mean, we we think that anything we sell should go up subsequently because we are own good businesses and we may sell them because we need money for something else but we still think they're good businesses and we think good businesses are going to be worth more over time so every, everything i sold in the past virtually that i can think of has gone on to sell it at, at, at a lot more money for a lot more money and and i would expect that would continue to be the case uh, that is not that's not a source of distress but i must say that that uh, Selling to Disney was a mistake, and actually the ad agencies have done very well. Uh, I would worry, frankly, if I sold a bunch of things right at the top. Except if you fast forward to today, 5% of Disney is worth $9 billion. So his $4 million investment could have been worth $9 billion. Forget any dividends Disney had paid along the way if he just held his 5% and didn't do anything. It's unbelievable. He doesn't actually explain why he sold. I imagine it was a a value or he wanted to use the money elsewhere. For me, what is interesting here is just the short-term nature of that investment. Like he's one to often talk about how 
he buys companies, you know, for the next decade when, like, when he makes that investment decision with the idea that it's a company he's going to buy. So I'd be really interested to know what actually happened between 66 and 67 for him to, to sell. Incredible rise in the price of Disney if he's, mani- if he's managed to make a 50% return. But from, from what I could see, he, he didn't really allude to some, the reasons. Whenever he's asked about it, he just says, yes, he just he made a mistake. Yeah. And, uh, and wishes that he's still holding. Yeah, and Disney isn't the only iconic American company that he sold too early. He also owned some of McDonald's for a while. Well, he loves Maccas. He does. Yeah. He does. Loves Coke, loves Maccas, and he's 93 and still going strong. So tell me what that means, health experts. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's being active. With your mind. I was going to say, he's not exactly like a... a I think, no, mind mind activity. Okay. Brain activity. You think it's brain activity. I think it's billions of dollars. Yeah, but like what's he doing with that? We don't know behind the closed doors what he's doing health-wise, but... Maybe we'll find out when we go to America. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, here's another clip from Buffett talking about the mistake he made selling McDonald's too early. You know, I said it was a mistake and it, uh, to sell it and it was a mistake and I just reported that in the interest of uh, candor and there were some, I would say, that uh, uh, that, that particular decision has cost you mm, in the area of a billion dollars plus. Charlie? You want me to rub your nose in? You're, you're doing it. You're doing a pretty good job by yourself. (laughs) So, Bryce, I guess if we bring it back to our investing experiences, it's all good and well to look at Buffett in hindsight and say, I bet you he regrets not holding on to Disney or McDonald's. Mm. But it's a lot harder for us to know which are going to be our big winners and which aren't. Mm. And so the question becomes, how do we know when to cut our losses and how do we know when to hold through the bad times? So, Ren, the simple answer, I think, and we've spoken about it on the show, is it just comes down to the investment thesis, I think, and whether or not that investment thesis changed between when you bought it and that point in time. Yeah. And you would have to assume that Warren's investment thesis changed despite being up 50%. The question, though, is, yeah, I, I guess that's that's the answer in short. But if you're up 50%, like... Let it run. Well, here's my take, uh, psychologically analysing Warren 50 years in the past. Okay. He took over Berkshire Hathaway 64-65, failing textile mill, bad investment. He would have been pretty worried at that point. And he makes 50% on Disney the next year. And he's just like, let's bank that profit and sell too early. You reckon he's just trying to... I reckon he's a bit nervous. Trying to look... He'd been investing since he was like 0.1 years old. Yeah, but he was, was, you know, he just made the biggest mistake of his investing career. Was it? Uh, Berkshire, taking it over. Oh, Berkshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You reckon that was his biggest investing mistake? It was a high-profile one, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You think he was just trying to... I reckon he was rattled. ...get a bit of cash on the table. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, fair call. As I said, he he doesn't say anywhere that, you know, his thesis changed, the valuation became too much. It was just a, oh, in hindsight, I sold too early. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and I mean, it's easy to say that. How else would you think about it beyond just uh, thesis? If it's like, how do I know when this is the time to sell or should I hold on here? Like you, I mean, you had a great uh, investment in A2 Milk that ran a mile. Yeah. How did you manage that? Well, I I did the opposite. I held on too long. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I bought it at 60 cents. It ran up to over $20. That's amazing. And then I held it all the way back down and sold it at like $7. Shit. So like it was still a great investment, yeah. but I left a lot of money on the table by doing the opposite. What, was, what, le- what led you to hold on? I saw Buffett screwed up with Disney and I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to make the same mistake as this guy. <laughs> Fair call. <laughs> nah, I think I what, – What's there's a cognitive bias. I think it's called the endowment effect where you really love the stocks that you hold. I had made good money on A2 Milk and I loved it. Mm, it mm. was like the thing that was, it showed me the power of investing. Mm. And I just like whatever the bad news – because it was all at the time it was – there was this grey market of – uh, you know, Chinese nationals in Australia buying A2 infant formula and sending it back to China, the Daigo market. Yeah. You know, there was news coming out about that channel being shut down and the Chinese government wanting to build their own domestic uh, infant formula industry back up. And um, I was just like, nah, A2 milk will figure it out. But should have realised that my thesis was quickly was changing, yeah, that yeah. its key growth driver was... Facing Chinese. some pressures, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Anyway, you still did well from it. Oh, so I'm not complaining. Congrats. Well, when did this episode become about I don't know, me? <laughs> Ren, that's a good point to take a break. On the other side of this, where we're going to dig into why Disney has become such a great long-term company uh, and wealth builder. Obviously, uh, unfortunately, not for Warren, but for plenty of other investors out there, and and why it may continue to do so in the future. So we'll be right back after this break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Equity Mates in Omaha at the Berkshire Hathaway Annual General Meeting. So, Ren, the, the lesson here is the perils of selling too early and the using the example of Warren and selling Disney for a 50% profit, but unfortunately it could have gone on to be a $9 billion position in his portfolio. But that's not to say that the, the performance of Disney obviously has been pretty incredible over the years and uh, is still, uh, no doubt, a powerhouse in media today. No um, doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Some of the most iconic brands. But a bit of history. It floated in 1957 at $13.98 a share, adjusted for all of its stock splits. That was about the equivalent of $0.05 cents today. Uh, the, the share's currently trading at about 100 bucks, so an uh, increase of about 180,000% from the time it floated to now. So you can see why Warren's probably kicking himself. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, bad. yeah. It's been a business that has managed to really – 
leverage the incredible IP that it's developed since good old Mr. Walt Disney created, what was it, Mickey Mouse? Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse and the stable of Disney characters to now be, a, as I said, a powerhouse uh, across, across media. Yeah, yeah. It is a pretty phenomenal story. It's a story that's well told, so there's probably not a heap we need to speak about the business story. There's maybe a few lessons that we can unpack, but the Disney cartoons of the 90s that we grew up with, Lion King, uh, Little Mermaid, yeah. um, uh, Mulan. Rugrats? No. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Bryce. Anyway, massive Disney animation success in the 90s and then in the 2000s they partner with Pixar, eventually buy Pixar and that's Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Cars, a bunch of others. They acquire Marvel. Everyone knows what Marvel is. They acquire Star Wars. Um, Need to come up with their own IP again. What do you mean? Build their own? Yeah. I mean, like, but, but this is what we spoke about when we did our book club a couple of weeks ago. Is just that they got a couple of Eisner and and um, Iger, yeah, who were just amazing at buying companies. I don't know if Eisner was not amazing at buying. Well, did he? Yeah, yeah. Buffett but, was obsessed with him. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe not from acquisitions, but yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I'm just trying to think. Like, what has Disney done themselves recently? Frozen. Yeah. Bought a lot of good companies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but the, I think streaming. the... Streaming. No, they bought their streaming company, Bamtech. I, I did not know that. It's in the book. That when I've, I missed that chapter. <laughs> 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 I must have had an updated edition. Um, but I think the thesis for Disney, if you were going to invest today, and full disclosure, I do own Disney. Me too. Is that they have a really strong stable of IP but there's no company better at finding ways to monetize their IP, whereas some of their competitors will write a script, make a movie, sell tickets to that movie, put it on the shelf, sell the rights to a streaming company. Disney will create a character or buy a character, um, do the movie, the TV show, the comic book, the consumer products like mm. toys and stuff like that, board games. Then they'll do a bloody Disney cruise for it. Mm. They'll yeah. have a Disney they'll on Ice stage show. They'll have yeah. a ride at their theme park. Yeah. No one is better at extending IP. Trading cards. Disney. Yep. Mm. Books. Books. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see that some of their biggest competitors are really trying to catch up to that. The classic example is Nintendo. I reckon after Disney... If you're going to say strongest IP, stable of IP in the world after Disney, I think the two that probably come to mind are Nintendo and uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, I would have said Warner Brothers. What has Nintendo got? Uh, they got Pokemon. Yeah. They got Mario. Yeah. They got Zelda. Nice. They got like Kirby and Yoshi, um, Princess Peach, Bowser, Donkey Kong. Nice. Well, for those that are interested, Nintendo is listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the ticker is 7974. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, we're, Darcy and I were having a look at it earlier today, actually. It's about 50 billion US dollar market cap, market cap compared to Disney, which is like 180 billion. Um, but Nintendo aren't as good at Disney at extending their IP. They have obviously tried, there's a number of Pokemon movies. Um, there's, I think it's like Nintendo Land or Nintendo World at not... I don't think it's a standalone theme park yet, but I think it's part of 
Universal Studios. Imagine um, having a real life Mario Kart. I know. That's <laughs> that exactly what we were saying earlier. <laughs> yeah. How epic would that be? Yeah, that yeah, be dope, yeah. With things that actually shot and. Or a real life Pokemon battle. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that would be intense. <laughs> the more that you think about Pokemon, the more problematic it becomes. Well, let's not think about it. Yeah. Let's, let's not unpack, <laughs> let's not unpack um, it. <laughs> but anyway, let's... Uh, <laughs> let's leave that. But Nintendo are obviously trying to do that strategy. Their Mario movie just broke all box office records. Haven't seen it yet. Neither. Um, but it's, I think it's now had the best opening weekend for a cartoon ever. So you can see them trying to do that. Mm. Warner Brothers Discovery are also chasing the Disney model they're, with their DC Comics. They're trying to build a, a world and a universe and a series of movies. They've also got theme parks and stuff like that. Mm. But Disney is the best at it. Still the OG. Yeah. Well, they've brought back their uh, former CEO, Bob Iger, to try and, r- r- I guess, right the ship. They had uh, Bob Chepak in there. Over the last couple of years, uh, there was obviously a bit of discontent with the performance. So they brought back the uh, the guy that got them to the position that they are. Whether or not it's going to play out as uh, shareholders hope, I'm really looking forward to seeing over the next... I don't know how long he's going to be there, but I think he's got a contract for a few years. So... Um, but nonetheless, it's been a great uh, it's been a great investment for a number of shareholders, and and uh, unfortunately Warren wasn't one of them. But I think the main takeaway, Ren, is it really does come down to keep an eye on your thesis, keep an eye on your companies. Yeah. If the thesis breaks, yeah. think about what that means. But otherwise, if the thesis is still there, it still holds true, and it's running, let it run. Yeah. Let it become that $9 billion position in your portfolio. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. Uh, and I think a final thought for us as everyday investors, we don't have a lot of advantages over professional fund managers. Mm. But one advantage that we do have is that we truly can let our winners run. Mm. Professional fund managers will often have mandates or rules when they're managing money that says things like their any position can, can't be more than 10% or 20% of their fund. And so that means the best performing stocks, as they're performing well, they have to sell some of them to keep them, you know, 10% or less of their fund. We as everyday investors aren't constrained by those rules. So don't artificially constrain yourself. Mm. If you have picked a winner, let it win for you. (laughs) (laughs) Let it win. Classic example of that was, um, was Kathy Wood during the bull run of Tesla. It was absolutely running, and she had to keep trimming almost every second day because yeah, it was right. becoming. She could. She had a mandate of ten percent. Okay. And this thing could have been easily fifty percent of her portfolio because she got in so early and it was running so hot. Mm. But she just had to keep trimming, trim, trim, trim. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good point. Good point to finish. Well, stick around. Uh, on Monday, we'll be back with another Equity Mates chat, and then the the show continues on Thursday with the third instalment of our long term wealth builders, where we are talking about. Moody's. Moody's. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed uh, having a look at uh, having a look at this one. It's not a story that I was fully aware of, um, but it's a fascinating company. Great. Well, let's leave that cliffhanger for a week, and we'll pick it up next week. Sounds good. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. 
This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.